Hi, I'm MMM's Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large, and I'm thrilled to be part of this vodcast entitled Crossing the Divide, How Non-Traditional Approaches Can Transform Clinical Trial Recruitment. And this is brought to you by GCI Health, which has made significant investments uh, in both its um, clinical trial recruitment uh, Uh, expertise, as well as cultural marketing competency uh, over the last couple of years. And those are two topics we're going to be delving into more deeply over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Um, You know, one out of every five uh, clinical trials uh, actually is completed uh, within its time frame, within its planned time frame. And of those that are delayed, about 55% of them, 55% of the time, excuse me, is due to uh, recruitment delays. Um, And at the same time, uh, while social media and digital media have kind of transformed healthcare marketing over the last few years, neither one of those modalities is being utilized to its fullest extent in clinical trial recruitment. Uh, So that's something that we're going to be talking about as well. And I'm joined by two experts in this area, Kante Key, who's Group SVP of Digital at GCI Health, and her colleague, Matthew Graffeo, who is Executive Vice President, Global Head of Digital. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to be here. So Matthew, just starting out with you here, could you tell us what's the current model of recruitment and why is it coming up short? Yeah, well, look, the current model is not working. I mean, like you said, I mean, the numbers are staggering. 80% of trials um, have issues because of recruitment challenges. And of um, the trials that fail, 55% of them fail because of recruitment issues. So obviously, you know, things aren't really working and, and it's because of the model. And the model really has been reliant on trial sites themselves to do the recruitment. So it's an exciting time. We see the industry starting to look for new avenues um, to bring in, you know, recruits. Sure. So speaking of that, what's needed to make this effort more successful? Well, that's a great question. So, I mean, to answer that, I'm going to give you a little bit about my journey into clinical trials. So, look, I've spent most of my career in healthcare marketing, but for that sliver of time that I wasn't in healthcare marketing, I actually worked for one of the major coffee companies. Hmm. Um it has a little pod. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> yes, and, I love the story. And right, then my job was to recruit people into this coffee company's club. And what we would do is we would look at segmentation models. Like, why wouldn't somebody join? Why would they join? Where are these people? What's the best way to reach them? And from that, we would craft messaging that was bespoke to each one of these personas. And we use channels to reach them, digital channels like social media, influencers, And when I got into clinical trials about 10 years ago, I assumed that's what was happening. And I found out very quickly that wasn't happening. So really what we're doing, what Chianti and I do, is really look at, you know, marketing techniques. And we look at research and then we find out why is there a barrier? You know, why wouldn't somebody join this trial? And then we craft bespoke strategies towards reaching that person. And we use digital media to do that. So it's not crazy, but it is something that's new for this field. A sure. renaissance of sorts <laughs> right. about clinical right. trials. It's a good time for yes. it. And we alluded to this earlier uh, in terms of how this has a real world impact, you know, the delays. But why is so much effort, you know, being put on speed of recruitment? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I mean, the faster you could do recruitment, the faster you could do the entire trial, the quicker that medicine or that treatment will reach patients, right? And sure. and that's extremely important. I mean, and it's important to companies as well. I mean, the, the sooner that medicine is out, the sooner they can market that medicine. So really, when you think about recruitment, it's like one of the most important things in the whole life cycle of a treatment. Mm-hmm, sure. Let's just switch gears here for a second. Keante, um, can you explain how does a, a person's kind of identity play a role in whether they decide to participate in a clinical trial or not? Yeah, sure. I think that's a, a great question and um, always super important. And I can say as a straight 
black woman living in the South, you know, bringing my lived experience into healthcare marketing um, for a long time. Uh, marginalized communities have not been really represented or even spoken to when it comes to communications. Um, so we, when we just start there and then we kind of go into clinical trials, to talk about drug development, we have relied on healthy white men to sort of approve, to get approval for, for drugs and for medication. Um, and so I think that is sort of uh, what's changing, especially with FDA sort of saying for those phase three clinical trials, you must have a diversity plan. And that doesn't just mean diversity in terms of, you know, black people make up 13% of the population, but really looking at the disease insights, who is being impacted by this disease the most, and you need to making sure you, you are including those folks into the trial. So mm-hmm. um, obviously identity from that perspective, because it, to your point, will make our medicines even better. Right. The second point, though, I think in terms of identity is biology. And we can look at this from even just a gender perspective. Uh, look at the work the Society of Women's Research is doing, saying that gender is important. How women uh, react to certain medication will be different uh, than how men react to certain medications. Even when you think about um trans people, trans women, trans men, thinking about how the spectrum of gender has changed mm-hmm. um, and obviously how our biology, you know, is is different. Um, we want to make sure that I think our drugs and the medicines and the therapies that we put out into the world work for everyone. Um, and it's great. We're having this sort of clinical trial renaissance where we're recognizing that uh, we need to talk to people differently as communicators, but we also need to make sure whatever we're developing will work for, for everyone. So identity um, for us is the cornerstone for you know how we'll talk to people, what mm-hmm. channels yeah. we'll use. Like if you want to talk to my mom, go to Facebook. If you want to talk to me, come to Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about also the complexities of our identity right we're just not these you know one-dimensional people we're multi-dimensional so even in our communications to get people to trial uh thinking about the intersectionality thank you Kimberly Crenshaw uh of bringing that into the mix um for the work that we do because I think it's not just about recruitment it's about advocacy. We want everyone to want to be in a clinical trial and trust Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. if I participate in this clinical trial, it'll help others, it'll be safe. Um, So I think recruitment is one piece, but also retention is sort of that second piece. We want people to stay in the trial Mm. uh, because it's not just a failure of recruiting, it's keeping people in trial. So what are those barriers that maybe we aren't addressing, like transportation, uh, like bias? Are we involving people's networks of care to make sure they complete the trial? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the gaps that we just don't know about? Um, So I I think that is important in terms of just, you know, getting people to complete the trial. Then once they complete the trial, we want them to be advocates. We want them to share with their neighbors and their friends and talk about, you know, this trial wasn't terrible. Like I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be this one thing, but it ended up being great. Uh, During the COVID-19 vaccine trials, I was on Clubhouse. I don't know if anyone's still on Clubhouse, but hello, Clubhousers. Um, (laughs) But they had this room where uh, folks were talking about their their COVID-19 vaccine trial participation black people talking about it and one woman said this has been great I haven't had any issues they talk to me all the time I feel very safe and so that not only convinced uh, it convinced people to like okay I'll take the vaccine that was more so the crux but 
her just sharing that story made people felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of what we are aiming to do is get people comfortable with the idea of participating in a clinical trial and also making sure that they see the connection between what you see in your local pharmacy is only there because of clinical trials. So Mm -hmm. I'm making that. Keontae has a great way of of kind of, and I'm going to, I'm going to steal this from you, of kind of explaining the model for recruitment, but beyond recruitment, like normally or like traditionally people see it as like a funnel. Like how do we get people in this wide funnel and then they're in the trial and then goodbye, you know, we're done. She explains it and I love it as a loop, you know, or kind of like, you know, a cycle, especially when we're talking about marginalized groups, right? Like that we get people in, but afterwards we need to make sure that they're advocates going forward Mm -hmm. and that we're continuously Mm -hmm. engaging them and building trust. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, historically, like the African-American community has many historical reasons not to be part of a trial. And contemporary. Yeah, and contemporary, 100%. (laughs) And, and, you know, there are, you know, there are lots of different groups, right? Like that we need to take into consideration and the best people to do that, to help people come back to a trial are the people themselves, right? Because that's who you're going to trust. So mm-hmm. that's something that I love to look at when, when in that model when Keontae talks about it is it's not just one and done. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. Sure. sure. And even when we think about like, because uh, I know the term hard to reach audiences is often yeah. thrown around. <laughs> um, and I was talking to my mother a few weeks ago as we were kind of prepping for this. And um, I asked her, have you ever been asked to be a part of a clinical trial? You know, 60 something year old black woman on this planet never been asked Hmm. right and i up until like the covid 19 vaccine trials had never been asked um and my grandmother you know who also transitioned due to diabetes never been asked to be a part of a trial so you have three generations of folks who have never been asked to be a part of a clinical trial so that is obviously not a outlier i think that's a pretty common story Mm -hmm. throughout the country hard to reach yeah right we're not hard to reach we don't we don't know we don't know about it um so i definitely think it's an opportunity Mm -hmm. to expand and broaden um you know our part our our participants because right now it's it's kind of um flat there's a huge gap you know as you said 13 percent of the population is african-american in this country and yet you see the the rates of participation in new drugs coming on the market all the time. Um, And, um, you know, to put it mildly, that's, you know, a huge glaring error. (laughs) So, and it it affects a lot of things, you know, from, you know, not just marketing, uh, because you can only market on what's on the label, what's in the research. Mm -hmm. Um, But But uh, I think just helping patients, yeah. What's interesting, and, and not to be lost in what Keontae was saying, is that, you know, what we do is we look at each disease state differently and we look at what does, you know, representation look for that particular disease, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, uh, like breast cancer is going to be different from testicular cancer or something like that. So it's going to have a different mix of people that we need to get into that. And diversity in, in for one trial could be, you know, a different definition for another trial, right? And when we mm-hmm. look at diversity, mm-hmm. we're also looking at people's abilities, like you said before, mm-hmm. you know, transgender, you know, people's different gender identities, economic factors as well. So I think there's a lot to be, you know, really looked at in terms of diversity. And in order to do that in a really, you know, educated way, we have to do the research. And research Mm -hmm. for a while, especially in marketing, was kind of a dirty word. Like people didn't want to pay for research. Now we see a renaissance for research, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to understand, like, who are these people? Where are they online? Where are they on social media? What are their habits? And how do they want to be talked to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So Keontae spoke about, you know, the intersectionality, you know, in people's lives in terms of their cultural backgrounds or lived experiences and how that translates into their communications preferences. Um, And at the same time, you know, you shared um, that um, members of your family have never participated and, you know, never even seen uh, or heard of, you know, an invitation, um, let alone participated. Um, So... What, what does it mean to be culturally resonant in communications? You know, what does that look like? How do you define that? I think it means starting off with what Matthew says, and it's something we've built. Um, it's identity experience, and it's sort of a three-step sort of model where we start with cultural health intelligence with the research. Mm-hmm. Um, we very much believe in, you know, social listening. We think that's wonderful. It's great. But we also need to talk to people like we're doing right now analog kind of getting back into people's faces and really asking questions about you know the nuances that the uh you know quantitative you know behavioral insights yeah we we need more of that um again just to get to the meat of the matter um once we have that we have our belong messaging model and so that's when we're able to kind of say what what's the what does bias look like when this person maybe goes into a physician's office? Um, one of the things we've been talking about, one of our team members, uh, Brianna, uh, Dr. Brianna, she's a PhD, mm-hmm. um, said that uh, sometimes physicians do not offer uh clinical trial participation to black patients because they feel like they will not finish the trial Mm. and I thought it was interesting so it's like well how do we we can't fix everything but how do we try to mitigate that is is that more so helping the physician you know realize this is maybe some issues that come up for black patients and we can help solve for is that bringing in the trial investigator to kind of help you know solve for that so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that those things are important for us to note in our communications because it doesn't matter how great our creative is if the physician isn't even offering this trial um, to them Um, the other thing we look at is uh, we call links so not only looking at channels but also links of care I don't believe people and I think over the last three years, we've seen you don't uh, experience disease in a silo. You experience it in a community. Um, so people having caregivers or networks of care uh, that they can talk it, tap into because those are also influencers, yeah. right? Uh, those are your yeah, day-to-day they influencers. Help you make the decision the, the to join a trial. To join hmm. the trial hmm. and to finish yep, the trial. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we need uh. those folks who might help with in terms of transportation or filling something out. So yeah. we want to make sure we're bringing those people in because I think often they are left out. Um, Then we think about outcomes, obviously. Finish the trial. If you have questions, you can download this form. Um, Narration is important in terms of those influencers. And then we also think about gaps of care. Um, Two, those might be questions that folks might have, like, if I participate in this trial, will it impact other medicines I'm taking? Is How much does it cost? You know, sure. um, how long? You know, those types of things that mm-hmm. um, will come up. So once we have that belong messaging model together, that then informs sort of what the tactics um, look like. And that's when we kind of go into the search marketing yeah. channel strategy. Uh-huh. Really like a, 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 let's say, an omni-channel digital approach yeah. really very yeah. heavily digital and that and that's what we do right we're looking yeah. at social media you know we're looking at facebook we're looking at tiktok we're you know we're looking at linkedin to reach hcps um for referral traffic we are looking at search engine marketing I mean, influencers which is probably the most exciting development in clinical trials recruitment um is something that is definitely going to be happening um and then we're looking at making sure that you know our patients have a seamless user experience 
that they can go to a website that has a pre-screener, that they could download things easily, that they could find things easily. And if it is, you know, a disease state that is particular to subgroup, that when they go to that website, that there are people that look like them on that website mm-hmm. with really high create value creative and videos and interactivity. I mean, that's what people are used to every day. And it gives those tools give us like the modalities to express the messages that we have to for each one of the segments that we spoke about to mm-hmm. get them over that hump into that trial and then hopefully to stay in that trial. Right. Sure, sure. It's a 360 degree mm-hmm. approach for sure. And like we were saying, I know my church a few weeks ago had this uh, company come in and talk about clinical trials. They weren't recruiting. It was just a matter of awareness that like mm. making sure that you knew that you can participate in a clinical trial. And I think from an awareness perspective and those hard to reach yeah. audiences, <laughs> it's just a matter of letting people know that the opportunity is there for them to participate um, in building advocacy. Not when people get sick, but, you know, when they're healthy and they want the information, you know, available. Matthew, just to key on one of the things you said as well with with the the rise of search engine marketing playing a role. um, Can you kind of elaborate kind of how far we've come with that? I mean, well, I mean, search is one of probably the most effective channels. And, and the reason why is because I like to look at it, you know, in almost like a B2B standpoint. That's a qualified lead. When somebody goes onto Google and searches like an ALK non-small cell lung cancer trial, they're looking for that trial as opposed to seeing our messaging and then considering it. They're actively seeking it. So search engine marketing is definitely one of, you know, the most effective smart. Like, I like to call them smart techniques that we use. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I also like the idea of layering it on to like uh, radio ads and 100%. targeting it based off of where the trial site is. Mm-hmm. So again, that 360 approach where we're not just doing one thing or like pulling one lever, but we're doing yeah. kind of all the things all, at all points to make sure, you know. Well, and you touch on geo targeting. I mean, yeah. that's something also with search and with all of social that we do is like trials have sites. There are physical locations. So with social media and with search and radio to, to as well, we can target like in and around the Minneapolis St. Paul area within 60 miles. Um, so we can really be very effective. And with HCPs, we could even target on certain channels um, by their MPI information. We can target by their titles. So I can target thoracic surgeons within 30 miles of you know Minneapolis St. Paul. So you can see digital media really gives you tools that are extremely, you know, I would say really, really powerful in reaching the audiences we are trying to reach. Sure, sure. The other thing I was thinking of when you both were talking about, you know, trust is is kind of a huge. a big, a huge issue. Yeah. And it's not something that's going to be addressed, you know, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But to the extent that these technical issues, transportation, social determinants of health, um, you know, what's, what's it going to cost me? You know, is it being even offered the opportunity? Um, and then, you know, am I seeing it in, in these different channels to the extent that these technical issues, as I call them, can be addressed? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're making you're putting your best foot forward in terms of recruiting and, and retaining uh, volunteers. So it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I like that when we talk about trust because it opens us up to talk about influencers. Yes. <laughs> and Keontae and I love talking about influencers yeah. because that's something that hasn't really been done in the industry, using social media influencers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, trust is huge, especially when you're asking somebody to commit to trying out a new, you know, medicine mm-hmm. and then to go through the whole trial process. And social media influencers and influencer marketing 
is more and more prolific. So we definitely see influencer marketing as, you know, the next big thing in clinical trials recruitment okay. uh, because it has that authenticity. It builds trust. I mean, people trust other people more than they trust companies. And that's what an influencer really is. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Is Jay Z going to be recruiting for the next clinical trial? Beyonce, let's get them all <laughs> in to recruit all the people into trials so we can make yeah. the best money. I like well, to see I that. I do think, like, when it comes to like, you know, where is this industry going? I think that we will start seeing, and you've seen a little bit to date, but you'll start seeing big marketing campaigns around clinical trials. And that could be having celebrity spokespeople. Mm -hmm. um, it could be having hashtags. It could be having events. Um, I think really the sky's the limit when it comes to, um, and I, I, using the word marketing, it might be a little crass, but it is marketing for clinical trials. Mm -hmm. We need it. I think, yeah. um, and I, I to steal your consumer sort of angle, I am a big Nike fan. I'm not wearing Nikes right now. Oh, can I say Nike? Um, I think that's fine. Okay. Um, so I'm a big <laughs> fan. Um, obviously, when they have like different releases of shoes or they're releasing Drops, Jordans, another yeah. you know pair of Jordans, I'm like, I gotta go to the sneakers app. And I'm maybe one day, yeah. you know, clinical trials can be like that. Like, I go to clinicaltrials.gov awesome. and <laughs> yeah. like see what see trials are dropped. What's, what's happening? Yeah. And even yeah. if they're not for me, I can share it uh, with someone in, in my community who might totally. who might benefit. So. Yeah, and any other things in terms of what's on the horizon for clinical trial recruitment, retention, community health? You know, the big thing is really looking at it as marketing campaigns. So, I mean, I think, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. on, on the horizon is large-scale marketing campaigns, but I also think targeting, targeting, targeting. So, you know, a lot of the times um, we go directly to patients. I think HCPs um, and going to doctors for uh, referral traffic is something that is extremely powerful. Now, the problem with that a lot of times is that it's hard to track, right? So like if I reach out to a doctor about a clinical trial, they might go in word of mouth, refer 10 patients. But how do I track that those are the patients that went to this website? Now, we've come up with a couple of ways to do that. Um, and I think that was kind of a reason why that you see recruitment hasn't really pivoted towards referral traffic. But I do think that's another big thing on the horizon mm -hmm. because people do trust their doctors. Um, and, you know, it's something that I think an avenue that is extremely, extremely important. Sure. Great. And I think later on to that, um, you kind of mentioned it is community. I think yeah. that's it's always been there, but um, community and trust um, are, are big things for me that, you know, if I don't trust you, I'm not going to do a thing. And even when we think about uh, historical sort of um, wrongs when it comes to health, and we talk a lot about like medical bias, the doctor is doing this thing to me. When you think about Tuskegee, it wasn't just the doctor or the nurse. It was a whole sort of structure that was essentially lying to folks. So we have to also think about when people walk into a trial site, how is this admin, you know, behaving toward this mm -hmm. person? Mm -hmm. How is the, you know, the advocate sort of moving them along behaving toward this person? That's kind of sometimes beyond us, but I do think there's opportunity for us to at least influence, sure. say, hey, totally we right. have found that people are dropping out because they do not feel comfortable when they come in. Sure. Is there a way to set up some sort of training? I know there's a lot of bias training happening now, but at the end of the day, if we're all here to provide the best experience for folks. Um, these are some things we might 
we, yeah. you know, might be helpful. Well, it's a tonality as well of our communications. Yeah. You know, one of the things that people like to be spoken to in the language that is native to them. So we're doing trials right now where we're putting out on social media in, in Creole. Um, for people who's that's their primary language and, mm -hmm. and it's respectful. Yes. And I think that's kind of really right. the, the crux. Like right. it's, it's a respectful way of being communicated to. Um, and it builds that trust. Right. Exactly. Sure, sure. Like people yeah. feeling seen. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, again, that community piece of not just talking to the patient, but talking to everyone who might have influence in their lives, whether it's a parent or partner, mm -hmm. Um, you know, the pastor, we want to talk to all the people right, um, right. about about this. So well, it's an exciting time in marketing. I mean, like you said, like and especially in clinical trials, like not everybody is a white male. And mm -hmm. it gives us, you know, as a marketer, like it gives us all these different opportunities mm -hmm. and all these different techniques that we could flex right. to reach people that need to be reached. And right. I don't think they're hard to reach, no. to be quite honest. I just think they weren't being reached. I yeah. don't think it's yeah. hard either. Maybe we can get Spike Lee to drop some. That would be awesome. Clinical trial ads. <laughs> he needs to take a look at this for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's definitely a, a broader conversation. And uh, thank you for, you know, uh, helping us to ensure that uh, our medicines benefit everybody. Um, and it's really a, a, a key, crucial conversation. So this has been fascinating. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark.